Thank you for tuning into this webinar, Strategies for Creating a Workplace Employees Don't Want to Leave. This webinar is hosted by AGH University and presented by AGH Employer Solutions. AGH Employer Solutions is a team of professionals that helps employers, business owners, and HR professionals hire, compensate, manage, engage, train, and retain one of their most critical resources, their talent. Today's speaker is Carrie Cox. Carrie is a Senior Organizational Development Consultant for AGH Employer Solutions Organizational Development and Family Business Services Group. She has experience in a variety of human resource functions, including a thorough knowledge of labor laws, compensation structures, employee classifications, and human resource best practices. She serves clients in a number of industries, including manufacturing, construction, banking, and not-for-profits. With the down economy, avoiding unnecessary costs is important. Turnover is one manageable cost. Employees must identify who's at risk for departure and create an environment they don't want to leave. Today's session defines strategies to identify employees at risk of flight and what you can do to keep them. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. First question, how are you? I've presented a number of times this year on topics ranging from very technical um, families first coronavirus and CARES Act compliance topics to taking a breath and thinking about how we lead well in our current times. So I hope this webinar lets you take a little bit of a breath and think about the organization you want to create so that your employees don't want to leave. Many industries are currently challenged to find employees, even though we have higher unemployment rates. So it's even more critical for you to be thinking about these strategies that are needed to keep your employees. So today we're going to talk about reasons employees leave, the cost of turnover in terms of real dollars in your organizations, how you evaluate employees for stickiness. There are actually behaviors that you can look for to assess whether they are at risk for leaving your organization. We're going to address methods for gathering employee feedback. You have to know what your employees want to know what kind of programs to create for them. And then we'll spend the bulk of our time addressing strategies for creating a workplace that employees don't want to leave. So some things that you can actually do to influence that. And throughout today, I'll thread some words about our current environmental impacts, whether that's thinking about the fact that we're managing through a global pandemic or we have a lot of unrest going on in our communities related to um, some of the uh, protests that we've seen. It's also an election year. So all of these things impact people as humans, which they bring to work. So certainly some abilities for you to think through those as well. But before we dive into our topics for today, I would like to get a little feedback from you on why you think employees leave your organization. So we're gonna open our first poll and go ahead and identify primary driver for employees leaving your organization. Pay, employee benefits, better opportunity elsewhere, issues with management or other or you're not sure. And just a reminder, if you want CPE credit today, you do need to answer at least three of the four polling questions that we'll have throughout the webinar. So we'll give you just a little bit of time here to answer that question. A few more seconds here and we'll go ahead and publish the results. Looks like we have most people have voted. So um, looks like we've got a split here, pretty even. 52% uh, of you say pay influences that, 48% say better opportunity, and 48% say issues with management. So sometimes we don't feel like we can do as much on the pay side, but employees who think about their workplaces 
in terms of more than just the paycheck they bring home are um, not likely to be influenced as much by that. So you can create great work environments and um, pay may not always be the best thing, but you have to think about all of the things you offer to employees. And then better opportunities and uh, issues with uh, management are certainly some things that you can do to create better organizations for your employees to work in. Okay, thanks for that. So um, individuals leave for a lot of different reasons. And we tend to see employees leaving organizations for things like lack of appreciation or bad managers in the work environment or lack of career growth or higher pay, three of the top ones you guys identified there. Also seeking meaningful work and work that aligns with their values or organizations that align with their values. And then certainly we're seeing some challenges in current environment and, and some people feel like they can't work because they have some personal concerns at home or uh, loss of childcare due to school closures and those kind of things. So we are seeing some employees leave organizations due to COVID-19. And tenure addresses some of these aspects. So the amount of time an employee has spent at an organization will influence whether or not they will quit for a higher level role or promotion. So you have to watch that a little bit. So people with more than a year in their current organization are more likely to quit for a promotion. So making sure that your employees understand what their career options are and their paths are, even if they don't have a set promotional opportunity immediately, can be really important and impactful for them to stay in the organization. So let's look at some data for um, why employees leave organizations. This was from a pay scale survey um, in 2019, so a little different than what we're facing today, but I think these things still apply generally. Um, a quarter of people said they wanted higher pay. And a lot of times when I hear that from people, that is a driver, but usually it's some of these other things that initially make them a little unhappy. And then it's easy to say pay is why I'm leaving because they don't wanna say, oh, you're a terrible manager or I really don't align with the values or some of those things are a little harder to communicate. So pay sometimes comes out as a top reason, even though there are a number of other drivers. 16% uh, said they are unhappy at their current organization. So that could be all kinds of things that factor into that. 14% wanted to work in an organization more aligned with their values. So that's really critical when you look at hiring individuals to get into your organization. 11% said relocating, maybe you have less influence over that. 10% um, wanted a full-time position, current position wasn't full-time. 7% looked for a promotion elsewhere, 2% more flexible schedule and 15% other. So a significant amount of people saying I'm unhappy or there's some other reason driving that. And what people often don't cite is the fact that they want appreciation and that's a key driver of why employees quit their jobs. So 79% said that this was a contributor. And while it's not cited as a top reason, it's that lack of appreciation that can really drive people to even consider looking elsewhere. When people don't get attention to the work they're doing by their managers, or they don't feel like they're being noticed for the work that they're doing and contributing, that can be a really um, detrimental aspect of the work environment for them. And then they start looking for reasons that make them unhappy or noticing more of those reasons that were there in the first place. 
So on the flip side of that, what is something that attracts employees to a new organization? So a little bit different than why you left your last organization, and this was that same uh, survey conducted by Payscale in 2019. Top driver is the, um, the opportunity to do more meaningful work. 27% of employees said that. 17% said increased responsibilities. 16% got more money. 11% said workplace culture, so that can be a driver. Uh, 6% said nothing, it's just another job. It didn't, I wasn't driven here by anything in particular. Uh, 6% better benefits, 5% wanted to work for a larger organization, 2% smaller, and 10% said other. So a wide variety of factors there, but certainly a lot of things that you can do to influence what kind of happiness or satisfaction your employees get from the work environment you're creating. So before we dive into some of the things you can do about it, let's think about what the cost is, because there is a hard cost to turnover, and I think it gets underestimated a lot of the time. Estimates vary pretty widely as to what it costs when an employee leaves an organization, anywhere from 16 to 213% of an employee's salary. And so I thought it'd be helpful to translate that in terms of real dollars, what that might look like. So in prior years, if we look across all industries in the US, the total turnover ranges on average from 16 to 18%, which includes voluntary and involuntary turnover. So if you looked at averages, let's say an average employee makes $40,000 a year, and let's just say 100% of an employee's salary is an average in between that 16 to 213% range that we see out there. And in our fictional example, let's look at a 100-person company just to make math easy. So $40,000 annual salary, about 100%, and in a 100-person salary at about uh, 16 to 18% turnover annually, that's about $720,000, which is pretty significant. And if we look at just voluntary turnover, that brings us down to somewhere in the 12 to 13% range. So that's still over half a million dollars that you could save if you could decrease that turnover. And it's probably not realistic to get it all the way down to zero, but think about what you could do with half a million dollars in a hundred person company. Certainly a lot. You could give pay increases if that's your top driver of people leaving the organization. You could add to your benefits. You could do more uh, career development and programs to develop your employees just have a big party. Uh, you could do all sorts of things that would allow you to increase employee engagement by investing in those employees. And COVID has brought on a new level of challenge with finding employees to work. So that means it's even more critical for you to focus on retention of your employees by providing work in a work environment that they enjoy, that they feel good about. And so in 2016, Harvard Business Review did a study where they looked at pre-quitting behaviors is what they called that. So just as there are tells if you play poker or cards and you might uh, make a gesture or have a tick or something that indicates you have a good hand, employees demonstrate certain behaviors that indicate they may be at risk of leaving the organization. So the original research that um, they did here was they looked at 900 different behaviors and they were able to narrow that down to 13 that were highly correlated to best represent an employee's likelihood of staying or leaving the organization. 
And so what they found, and I'll share those in just a second here, they weren't things like wearing dressier clothes to work because they might have an interview or leaving a resume on the printer or missing work for doctor's appointments more often than usual. Those things weren't indicated. Um, what they did find, though, was if you were to assess an employee, so let's say you have managers rate your employee on a one to five scale, one is strongly disagree, five is strongly agree, employees with an average score of 4.2 or higher had an expected probability of turnover of two times the typical employees. And so if you are able to identify those employees, you can certainly take some action up front and try to figure out why is it they're even wanting to leave and then intervene so that they're not leaving your organization. Of course, this assumes that you have great employees working for you and you want them all to stay with you. So let's look at the pre-quitting behaviors. Work productivity and a decrease in work productivity was seen as a behavior being less of a team player, so not wanting to contribute to the team that they're a part of. Doing the minimum amount of work to get by in order to keep their jobs. Having less interest in pleasing their manager. Having a lowered commitment to long-term timelines, so just not willing to commit out into the future. Having a negative change in attitude about work or just in general. Decreased effort and work motivation decreased focus on job-related matters, increased expressed dissatisfaction with current job or with current supervisor, leaving early from work more frequently, showing lost enthusiasm, enthusiasm for the mission of the company and the work they're doing, and decreased interest in working with customers. So again, if you look at these 13 different behaviors and you actually ask the managers to assess employees against those, if you have employees scoring 4.2 or higher on those, they are much more likely to leave your organization in the next six months to a year. And so you want to think about what can we do to intervene? What is it that they're wanting? What is it they're missing in their work environment that's causing them to demonstrate these behaviors? And what can we do about it? And I will say current environment, a lot of these things are stress responses too. So if you have employees that are trying to manage childcare due to COVID school closures or daycare closures, if you have employees that have people that are sick because of COVID or they're concerned, they're anxious about working, all of these things could be influenced by that too. So that's something to consider as you have conversations with employees to make sure it's not just about the current situation and uncertainty that we're focused on these days. So how do you even know what employees want? So let's say we identify some employees that are more likely to leave. What do we even do about that? Well, there are a lot of ways that you can get information from employees. So you can get feedback from employee surveys. That's one key way where you ask all of your employees to rate the organization in certain ways. Um, those are typically done by anywhere from 85 to 90% of companies. I've seen companies target some questions in the last six months even on COVID-related items or how employees are feeling about work and coming back to work and those kinds of things. 
a lot of times, though, with employee surveys, the challenge is we get information, but we don't give it back to employees. And so you're less likely to get information that's good and valuable if you don't have some method of um, communicating that back to employees and then addressing what are you going to do with the information? And if you're not going to take action on what you heard, why that is. So there needs to be that feedback loop. Employee focus groups are, is another good way to um, get feedback from employees. So these are smaller groups of employees, usually six, eight, ten at the most, that you would just get together and talk through what's going well, what's not. You may have some very particular questions you want to ask, but that's a way to increase some of the feedback that you get. Informal discussions and communications is helpful. So just when you're walking around your department or your organization and asking how's it going, what's going well, what's not, that can be really telling for you. Stay interviews. Uh, so some of you may do this. Most organizations I know of don't do this, but this is talking to employees and having a very set structure of questions that you ask about how they think about work and what they're doing for your companies and then being able to address any issues that come out of that. We'll talk more about that in a minute. And then also um, exit interviews. So more companies do exit interviews and stay interviews. And those are a little more limiting though because people are already on the way out the door or sometimes they're already gone from your organization when you get that feedback. So there's not much you can do at that point to affect change other than potentially have the employee serve as a, a resource or a referral for you for other customers or potentially in the future for employees. So getting information through a stay interview can be a little more effective. And I'm going to ask you how you're getting feedback. So we'll go ahead and load poll number two. How many of you are getting feedback in any of these ways? So how do you get feedback from employees? Employee surveys, focus groups, stay or exit interviews, informal discussions, or other, or you're not sure. And again, make sure you're answering poll questions if you want CPE credits. We'll give you a few seconds here to go ahead and respond. Looks like over 90% of you are voted, so we'll go ahead and close the polls and then uh, show you those results. So just over half said employee surveys, uh, a handful it looks like are doing focus groups. Majority of you are doing stay or exit interviews and then informal discussion 62% and 14% said other or unsure. So great. Okay. So let's talk a little bit more about exit interviews. If you're not doing this already, here are some good questions you can ask. And generally exit interviews are conducted by HR. Employees may not feel as comfortable talking to their managers about particular issues, and so HR often leads this function. Sometimes that's an actual interview. Sometimes it's a questionnaire or a survey that they send out. You could accomplish those in a lot of different ways. If you actually have time for an interview, you can get into a little more detail and dive into specifics. So consider if in some positions, at least you can do exit interviews if you regularly do a survey format or some kind of written questionnaire. Some easy questions here, why are you leaving? So that may indicate um, a good response and some people might give you a little bit of information, but you can ask some other questions to dive in more. What made you start looking? So what made them start looking might be something very different than what actually caused them to leave. So it gives you some good insight. Did they share their concerns with anyone? 
So this helps you identify, is there an opportunity for maybe training or coaching with management if um, the employees had shared concerns and nothing was ever done about those concerns? That can be an opportunity for you. What does your new job offer that influenced your decision to leave? So just like in the opening slides of this webinar, there were different reasons for someone leaving an organization versus going to an organization. So you might get different insights if you ask the questions a little bit differently. What would have made you stay? So that could be something that is helpful for training or uh, coaching on their current manager or maybe things within the organization. And then would you ever consider returning? Sometimes employees, if they're leaving for an opportunity, may feel really good about the organization and maybe they would consider coming back. Uh, so that can give you a good indicator or if they say, no, I really wouldn't wanna come back, that could give you some other insight as well. And then what does your replacement need to know? So that can be telling as well. If something wasn't revealed in some of the other questions, um, maybe there's something that comes out here. They may be more likely to tell you something about what someone else might need to know rather than what impacted them personally if they felt like there were some challenges with that. So um, certainly these are just kind of different ways to get at information a little bit differently to try to get the best uh, picture for you to do something with. And then another thing that you can do is a stay interview. So if you're not doing this, this is something that's generally done with um, current employees, of course, but conducted by the manager rather than HR. So this is an opportunity for managers to talk directly with their employees one-on-one -on -one basis and quarterly is a good cadence to do these. I would say a couple times a year if you can't um, make that happen. But you start um, with questions about, first of all, what do they look forward to when they come to work each day? And so that kind of starts the meeting on a positive tone and it directs employees to be thinking about what it is that they like about work and what they look forward to. And then you ask, what are you learning or what do you want to learn? And we know that learning and development is critical to an employee's progress and self-worth at any stages of their career. So this is true, we know for younger generations, but really all the way up until an employee leaves your company and retires from work, they may want to be learning and doing things. And, and this can sometimes be an easy thing for you to impact. Then you ask, why do you stay? So you wanna understand what's driving the, the uh, employee's motivation and what energizes them, because then maybe you can shape their work differently so that they can do more of that. Um, this will help to drive the employee's engagements much more so than trying to fix all of the things that challenge them or they're weaker in. But you do wanna ask, what is it that we need to fix? So this question gets at that. When was the last time you thought about leaving our team or what prompted you to think about leaving? This doesn't mean they're thinking of leaving on a regular basis by any means, but um, even if somebody just has a really frustrating day, they might say, oh yeah, that one day when that one customer did this and oh, I was so frustrated, I just didn't wanna come back. And so that doesn't mean they're completely unhappy, but it does give you some insight into what frustrates and stresses them and maybe the things that you can fix. And then what can I do to make your experience at work better for you? So sometimes it's the very little things that you might not be aware of, but when you ask it very specifically, your employees might respond and say, you know, I just need a new monitor because this one keeps messing up on me. 
But if you didn't ask them, they might not tell you that. So asking for feedback on what you can do to make work better for them can be really beneficial. And from here, when you have the answers to all those questions, what you can do is create a retention forecast. So you fix the issues when they're small, rather than waiting for them to get big or to blow up when you really can't affect them as much. If an employee is actually looking for a job already, you're less likely to keep them. But if you can have an ongoing dialogue, like I said, on a quarterly basis is when it's best to have these interviews with the manager and the employee, you can just get real-time feedback and fix the issues, or at least let the employee know why you can't fix them. So these can be really telling, and I encourage you to implement these in your organizations if you haven't um, done so already. So before we dive into some strategies for the future and, and the things that can um, affect good retention rates, it's helpful to think about our history a little bit. And so in the past, there were things like job security and career track. You had lifetime employees bonus or pension, health insurance, life or disability insurance, and then vacation or time off. And that's what kept employees in organizations. And now that's what you have to provide to even get employees in your door. And so in the current context, employees want more of some of the intangible things because insurance and time off and job security and things like that are, are a little bit of a given in our current in, environment or atmosphere. And so employees want to give input. They want to ask questions. They want to feel like they contribute. Good employees have a lot of potential jobs or the ability to go out and find something. And so um, we want to engage them to make sure they're staying with us. And employees want to be more fulfilled by their work. Uh, they're not going to show up and just punch a clock necessarily. They do want more out of work than we saw in previous generations. So that leads us into the retention strategies that we're going to tackle. The first one is truly understanding your employee value pr proposition and what makes you unique as an employer. And then hiring the right people. Best is not a typo on this slide. Um, sometimes the best candidate in terms of their skills and experience is not the right person for your company. And you've got to distinguish what you're looking for and really understand what it takes to be successful in your organization to hire the right person rather than um, who might be the best candidate overall. They're not always the same. We've got to onboard well. A lot of organizations fail here because they spend so much time on the hiring process they don't think about what it takes to get someone in the door and get them feeling like they are a part of an organization right off the bat. We've got to build good bosses, and this is a really critical one. In the poll up front, um, a number of you said that this was a challenge or something that caused employees to leave your organization. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Within that, we have developing employees. That's critical as a driver for retention. And then seeking feedback, which we already talked about. And of course, when you get feedback, just relentlessly improving and always having that desire to make things better. So before we get into all those strategies, let's talk about what you think you're most challenged by, which will be our next polling question. So identify if it's the hiring process or onboarding process, building good bosses, 
developing your employees or if it's something else or you're not sure what is most challenging as you think about retention strategies. We'll go ahead and close that out and share those results. It looks like uh, half of you indicated building good bosses is one of the most challenging aspects of um, retention strategies that we talked about. Hiring and developing is something else that um, challenges a number of you. Onboarding, not so much, and then 7% said unsure or other. Okay. So in terms of thinking about your organizations, one of the first things to um, get employees to stay with you is to know what really makes you unique. So what I refer to as the employee value proposition is what makes you as an employer unique. So there's a balance of the rewards that you provide and the benefits that you receive from the employee in order for their performance in the workplace. So this is the personality of the organization. It's what you pay. It's how you communicate. It's all of those different things that make your organization tick and how you would describe yourself to employees and it's critical for you to be able to do that. So um, the employee value proposition identifies unique people policies you have in place, processes and programs demonstrating your commitment to employees. It may include perks or career development, the work environment, flexibility. And so all of that creates a package for you to communicate to new hires, but also to your current employees. It's critical for you to consistently be communicating the message of what they get from you in exchange for what they give to you. It's always a balance. And so as we think about what that looks like, there are seven different pillars or buckets that we could think about. Um, I saw this speaker, I have the author listed there, Eric Chester. He uh, developed a book on fire at work, great companies ignite passion in their people without burning them out. So you've got to think about your different levers and how you do all of these things in your organizations. So with compensation, it's appropriate to think about how you compensate and employees have to understand why they're paid the way they are. And that's a key driver of whether or not they're satisfied with their compensation. Most employees think they should be paid more, that's no secret. Most employees don't understand why they're paid what they are. And so the more transparent you can be, the more you can impact the um, satisfaction they have with their pay. Alignment is um, making sure that the employee feels like the work and the values that they hold are contributing to the organization's values and the mission and that day-to-day -day culture um, that they're contributing to. Work atmosphere is really critical. Uh, that's everything from interpersonal relationships and who they work with to the physical layout and appearance. It can be the level of diversion. Are we really serious in our work or do we have a lot of fun during the workday? All of those things impact the atmosphere. Growth is an important factor. We'll talk a little bit more about employers providing training and opportunities for employees to sharpen their skills and continue to grow in the company. That's not always career growth in terms of promotional or the latter. Um, that can just be skill development. Acknowledgement is another um, aspect of that employee proposition. So employees wanna be recognized. We'll talk more about that too. So rather than a one size fits all program, acknowledgement needs to be personalized to employee. It needs to occur quickly or timely in relation to what you're acknowledging. 
and proportional to what they're contributing to you. Autonomy is another factor that um, influences that employee satisfaction and what drives them to contribute to your organization. So they need to feel like they have what they need to do the job, that they're well-trained to be trusted to perform to the standards that they need to, and working towards uh, milestones and goals that have been set uh, with management and they have the ability to move that way on their own. And then finally, communication is something that's critical. Um, open communication is something we hear a lot of, particularly when we're going through challenges like managing through a pandemic and economic challenges and things like that. And a lack of communication can really just destroy an employee's trust in their companies and their managers. So it's critical for you to over communicate, communicate well, communicate when you don't know, it's just so important, even when you don't know the answer, to have that regular line of communication and tell them what you do know. So those are all of the different aspects in the employee value proposition that you should be able to rattle off. Why is it a great place to work here? Why should you come work here? Why should you keep working here? And if you can't do that, I would encourage you to sit down and just think about those different pieces and, and how you share that with the employees that you're working with. One strategy um, is hiring the right people. So mention that it's not just the best people, but the right people. And that means you've got to understand that unique value proposition and what makes you unique that we just talked about. Understand that culture and not just hire people that fit your culture, but enhance your culture. Sometimes we need people to come in and stir things up a little bit and bring different ideas and and contribute to diversity in the organization. And so it, it isn't always just about who fits, but who can add to our culture. And so to hire a right, use a process. I'm sure a lot of you do that already, but when you can be consistent in what you're doing and um, timely, you'll be more efficient in getting the right people in the door when you follow that. I would encourage you to consider assessments Assessment, assessments can increase new hires staying in your organization from 50%, it's a coin flip whether they're going to stay or not, to 70% for management and professional positions. So if we think back to that turnover cost, that can really influence um, how much um, employees stay in the organization if we feel like they're benchmarked to a, to a role that suits them well and they have the right experience and skill set for that. One caution with that, make sure the assessments you use are valid and reliable for the purpose that you use them for. We wanna make sure that we have um, equal opportunity and good hiring practices with that. Sometimes a job preview or a shadow might be the right thing to do in a hiring process. And so it gives people a really good indication of what the job actually entails. So if there's a unique position you have in your company and it's really hard to describe or describe what the skills are that are needed for success, that might be a good opportunity for you to think about. Checking references is something I encourage as well. I get a lot of pushback from my clients uh, when I suggest they do this. And I understand you don't get a lot of information generally when you call for just an employment history. People don't wanna verify anything more than dates of employment or pay. But if you get the right people to talk to you about candidates, it can really help you to choose somebody that's better for your organization. I recently was hiring for an intern position here at AGH and um, 
I, it really was a coin flip in terms of the last two that we boiled it down to and which one we wanted to um, extend our offer to. And then when we checked their references, I was able to ask very specific questions about how the candidate would respond in our work environment and with our management styles that we would have in our group. And it led me to a very easy decision about who would be most effective in that role and um, better suited for the type of work that we do. So it can give you a lot of insight um, if you're asking the right questions and you're talking to the right people. And then consider alternative talent pools. So sometimes the right people are out there, but you haven't even reached them. Are there certain populations that you need to consider reaching differently and how do you access them? So thinking about uh, veterans or individuals with disabilities, maybe certain ethnic or racial um, backgrounds, or even um, convicted felons who may have done their time and done their service. If it works for positions in your organization, that's a population that is looking for a chance. And oftentimes they can contribute and be a very loyal person to your organization um, for the right role when you have the right supervision and the environment for them. Onboarding well is essential. Most of you felt like you did this pretty well or it didn't challenge you as much, so I'm not gonna spend a ton of time here. But again, having a process is critical. Thinking about what are the technical and non-technical training aspects that need to be covered. I know in a lot of organizations, people are really good about training people on the technical pieces of the job, how we do things and having manuals, but they often forget about the non-technical side. So some of the things related to just how do we do things around here and what's our culture like and what are the landmines you don't wanna step in? Some of those things are really critical to success in an organization, but they're not always taught and people just have to figure them out by themselves. And that can be a little frustrating for new people. So I encourage you to think about that aspect well. How do you train on your values in the organization? Who's responsible for setting alignment with the mission and making sure people truly understand what it is you're trying to achieve? And if you're not sure, then make sure you're doing it or you're working with HR if you're not in HR to um, make sure that's a part of the onboarding. Length of time is something to consider as well. Onboarding can take anywhere from 30 days for some positions to six months or a year for some positions that have to cycle through a whole year of tasks and duties in order to be most effective in what they're doing. And so it's critical for HR to think about how they support managers in that process and checking in at regular uh, intervals. Employees are more likely to leave organizations quickly when they don't feel like they are getting what they need. So oftentimes within the first two weeks of an employment, if they don't feel like the job is exactly what they thought it would be, they're looking. They were just looking for a job, they got your job, but now they're still looking because those recruiters are still calling them if they had um, their resumes out there in the first place. So onboarding is a process and you need to do those regular check-ins. Make sure you're asking, are you getting everything you need? What other support do you need? Is the job what you thought it was? And if not, how can you fix those things? Doing some of the stay interview questions with your new staff is equally important. And then consider if you have mentor or buddy programs. A lot of times um, this could be even someone who's not in the department the employee's working in. So they can give them a different perspective of some of the challenges they see. 
So once you've hired and onboarded well, your employees are turned loose loose to uh, hopefully good bosses. But if we don't have good bosses in the organization, that is one of the key drivers for employees to leave. And so good bosses connect to purpose. They understand how the individual's work contributes to the greater mission. They set clear expectation. They give regular attention to their employees. They delegate effectively, they develop employees, and they build good teams. So we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about these different strategies. So one issue a lot of employees uh, may face is they just don't understand how their piece of the work contributes to the overall mission or vision of the company. And so it's important for you as a manager to be able to connect that work to that mission and how important it is because every role in the organization um, is super important and super critical for every uh, part of what you need to do to get done. And so give you an example here. Let's say we walked up to some individuals and they're working on a construction site and they're laying bricks and we asked the first one, what are you doing? And she says, I'm laying bricks. And we say, okay, that's good. And we ask the next one, what are you doing? And he says, oh, I'm building a wall. So we're a little bit better there, right? If we know what the end result is and we're building this wall, then we understand how critical it is for each of our bricks to be in the right place so that we have structural integrity for the wall. But then we ask the third person who's working on the same team what they're doing. And they say, I'm building a cathedral where people can worship and connect to God. Wow, what a different message that is. And what a different connection point that employee has to the overall purpose of what they're doing. They're not just laying bricks. They're not just building a wall. They're building a cathedral. They're allowing people to achieve some connection. And so when you, as a manager, can connect the employee's everyday tasks to that higher level mission and purpose for being in the company, then that can really drive some of that engagement and retention to the work that they're doing. So that's a critical uh, function of your management and how you can help build good bosses, having them connect that. Another uh, clear uh, function of management is setting clear expectations. So managers get tripped up on this a lot. Um, sometimes they think that if I am too discreet or I am too particular in telling my employees what I want, then I'm not empowering them, which is really a bit of a myth. If you have something you want in a very particular way, if you tell them what the results are and you're clear about that, you're still empowering them to do the work. Um, you're just kind of getting out of the way and letting them do the work and producing the result that you need. So you've got to tell employees what you want, confirm they heard you, and get out of the way. Um, you've got to check in on them regularly, we'll talk about, but um, you don't want to be nitpicking everything you're, they're doing if they do have the ability to influence how it's done. Now, if there is a particular procedure that needs to happen, make sure they know the procedure and follow it and where there's room to move. And if there's not room to move, then um, they need to understand that too. So another thing that um, employees need and how we can build good bosses is by providing regular attention to employees. And sometimes that means feedback. So giving them um, either critical feedback, they did not do that correctly or positive that they did that really well. But sometimes it's just attention and showing interest in what the employee is doing or recognizing what they did well 
um, or the fact that they just did it. So I have two Frenchies, some of you know this, um, and they're sweet and it's good that they have sweet faces because they like to eat everything and chew on all of our wood in the house from the trim to the fireplace and our deck and all of those different things. And so do you think that these sweet little boys um, like to chew on the fireplace when I'm standing in the room because they want feedback on how um, intricate of a design they're making in the fireplace or do they want attention? Well, obviously they want attention from me. Same thing with this little boy. Do you think he drew on his face because he wanted feedback from his mom and dad as to how pretty of a picture he drew on his face and how that purple highlights his eyes? Um, eh, probably not. He was just trying to get attention. Someone wasn't paying attention, and so he was doing things to get it. Same reason why millions of people are posting on social media every day. They're not necessarily looking for feedback. They're looking for attention. Look at me. Appreciate what I'm doing. Give me some attention. And we're in that kind of economy today where people are wanting attention and not necessarily feedback. However, feedback is really important too. Um, Marcus Buckingham is a researcher and author and he has a newer book out, I think it was last year that it was published, um, that's called The Nine Lies About Work. And one of the things he talks about is feedback versus attention and some of the challenges with that. But um, what he has said is that if you don't give people feedback or attention to their work, you'll have 20 disengaged team members for every one engaged team member. So if you're just kind of non-existent in that feedback. And negative feedback is 40 times more effective to engaging employees than just ignoring them. But positive attention, so focusing on what they do best and what is working, is most powerfully motivating for your employees. And the ratio of engaged to disengaged rose from 60 to one when we showed positive feedback or positive attention. And so positive attention is 30 times more powerful in creating high performance on a team and with your employees rather than just giving that negative attention, but it's 1200 times more powerful than ignoring people. So you have got to be giving people your attention for what they do and what they do well. Our brains grow and we develop when there is a stronger desire to do well in that area and when we do well in those areas. So when um, we look at studies of students who receive negative feedback, their sympathetic nervous system lights up, the fight or flight response. So they focus, they really narrow their focus because they get defensive and they only focus on what's necessary to survive. So it narrows their activity and their ability to think more outside of the box and be more innovative. So when we're looking at students who received attention focused on positive attention, so let's say we're talking about their dreams and what they want to do and what they want to accomplish, the parasympathetic nervous system lights up. And so that's the rest and digest system, if you will. And that sets you up for greater learning. And to learn more, those employees will pay attention to what is working and build on that. So that's something for you to think about. It's built into our brain functioning, that positive feedback loop, 
that helps us to do better, to be better, to do more, to think creatively. Whereas if it's just always negative feedback, we tend to be a little more defensive and we become more narrow focused. So certainly that's a great opportunity to teach managers and build managers on how to provide more positive feedback and attention to individuals. Delegation is a critical function for managing well, choosing the appropriate task, choosing the appropriate person. We often fail there because we delegate the things that are most unpleasant, but maybe those don't stretch or develop people. Or we might choose um, the inappropriate person that maybe doesn't have the skills or the capacity or the desire to do that. We have to set clear objectives and plan when we delegate. We can't just throw and go. We've got to have our desired outcome and results and check-ins planned, and then we implement what that plan is. So that requires good communication. And then we've got to monitor. So we fail here too, because we might get too busy and we're not checking in and evaluating how the project is going until maybe it's too late or we're at deadline. So um, that can be challenging, but then also reviewing how the delegation went and making sure we correct any issues that we have. So some of those aspects are um, areas that some of us do better in, some of us don't do as well in, but it's certainly an opportunity to help our managers improve there or improve ourselves when we delegate. And as we develop people, we've got to really know who they are to be able to grow them. Learning and development is such a key driver and especially for younger generations, but it applies to anyone at any stage in their career. With younger generations, knowing a career path is very helpful to keep them in your organizations. And that doesn't just mean what is my next position, but what is the next skill I need to develop? Who do I need to work with in the organization that I don't work with today? Sometimes it's relationship development and not just skill development. So continue to think about what is it your people need, what cross-training or technical skills or success skills do they need that maybe aren't specific to their role today, but roles that they might hold in the future. And then making sure we see those people as unique individuals and value what they bring and their personality and their uh, humanity that they bring to the organization. You have to water your plants differently to uh, successfully keep them alive. And you've got to treat your employees differently based on the skills that they bring and the desires that they have in the organization. And a few words on Gen Z. So that's that younger generation that we have coming into the organization. Um, it's critical for us to get to know them because we've spent so much time figuring out millennials. I hear people still talk about millennials. Um, but Gen Z is different, and so we can't expect that that next generation that is in our workplaces, for the most part, are the same as what millennials brought to us. And so uh, Gen Z, those are individuals born roughly around 1995 to 2012, so people under 25 years of age in your company, about 60 million people in the U.S., and they're actually larger than the millennial generation. So when they become... Um, fully of age, they'll be much larger in our workforces than the millennials. They're currently about 24% of the workforce in the US. Characteristically, they tend to be pretty pragmatic and savvy, optimistic, but they also tend to have their parents' skepticism. So a lot of them were born to Gen X parents. So they're optimistic, but not as much as some of the millennials that we saw um, in our organizations. When they're looking for a job, they want money. 61 of, 
61% think that earning a higher salary defines success when compared to other benefits. So that's in the job hunt. But when they actually come on board, their work priorities change a little bit and safety becomes really important to them. So you think about the fact that they've come of age with mass school shootings that they've had to encounter and um, be aware of. Their lowest priority, which some people are surprised by this, but it's diversity. And we think that's because they're the most diverse generation and they probably see it as a given. They've come up with a much um, greater diverse population in schools and in their environments than any of the rest of us did. They have a strong desire for work-life balance and they don't necessarily think they need to work long hours to get ahead. So a lot of them would freelance if they could make the same amount of money uh, because of the flexibility that it offers. So as you think about your workforces and how you create opportunities, consider that. For a lot of them, happiness from a good work-life balance trumps a high salary, which seems a little counterintuitive to what I just said when they're looking for a job, they're looking for money. But when it comes down to it, they want that work-life balance more so. And so they want a manager that respects that work-life balance in their work hours. And they actually prefer face-to-face -face communication over connecting by phone, text, or social media, which I thought was a little interesting since they've grown up on social media and through technology use. Um, but they perform, prefer more face-to-face -face communication and prefer to work independently more so than in collaboration, which is a little bit different than millennials as well. So they want a voice. So ask them for their opinions or how they would do something. And they embrace change and push for it in terms of policy development, which leads to some of those organizational change they, must, they, they may push you on. And then their biggest success measures are being happy at work and having that good life, work-life balance. So um, that's just a little bit of information on Gen Z. Many of you are probably managing those individuals or creating programs there. So uh, that is something to think about. The last thing I'm going to hit on just quickly is the um, need for good bosses to build good teams. So good bosses know that the very foundation of building good teams is trust. Having good trust to um, understand who's got the strengths, who's got the weakness. If I messed up, I say I'm sorry. And just building that safe psychological space for people to be there and be who they are and develop as they are. And when you have good trust, you've got people that can engage in a lot of robust dialogue and productive conflict within organizations, which leads to better commitment for pushing forward on what you need to achieve. And so teams with high trust and good conflict over ideas are committed to achieving um, results by way of holding each other accountable and holding um, not just the manager or the manager down, but peers, Accountabil accountability between peers is really important on those high trust teams. So good managers recognize there are two aspects in teams, the we and the me. And so making sure uh, your managers are equipped to see people as individuals, but also contextualize how we all work together and why that's important is essential. Because what we've seen in more recent research, I cited Marcus Buckingham earlier, this was also uh, from his book, is there's more difference between work teams in organizations than um, between different organizations and the culture between companies. So that means organizations are, or employees, excuse me, are more likely to um, 
leave a company because of the team that they're on, which ultimately is led by the manager, rather than just leaving the company. So it's critical for managers to have the success to build good teams and recognize how individuals are important, but also how we communicate and uh, contribute to the greater good of that team and the organization. So before we wrap up here, just one quick poll question to finish us out. Which strategy about building good bosses most challenges you? Developing employees, different generational motivators, team building, delegation, or other or unsure? This will be our last poll question. Okay, I think we'll go ahead and close the poll and we'll share those results. So developing employees, different generational motivators are the top two you indicated in terms of struggling with building good bosses and then team building and delegation. So um, certainly some strategies here or some knowledge that you can take away to help with those things, I hope for you. So as we close out the webinar, just wanted to remind you to um, think about visiting aghuniversity.com or aghlc.com, our insights page. We've got a lot of good webinars on various technical and non-technical related things, just like the webinar you went through today, as well as alerts and different articles that you can read on various topics. So if you haven't been there, I highly encourage that. I'm going to go ahead and turn it back over to Mike to close us out and give you your recertification uh, numbers. And I just appreciate your time and attention today and joining us for this webinar.